Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Everyone has a hard time with relationships to at least some degree, but relationships can be especially hard when you or your partner are dealing with depression. Depression can potentially make dating and relationships feel hopeless. It can also put a real damper on your sex life and maybe even lead to more conflict too. And that's why it's important to talk about how to navigate relationships when one or more partners have a mental health issue. So let's talk about it. Today, we're going to explore what you need to know about dating with depression, including when to disclose your mental health status to a partner. We're also going to discuss how to know whether you're in an unhappy relationship or are depressed, how to communicate about depression with a partner, how to be a supportive partner to someone who is depressed, tips for dealing with breakup, and more. I am joined once again by Joellen Naughty, a writer, speaker, and mental health advocate whose work explores the impact of depression on sex and relationships. Since 2012, she has written about sex, mental health, and how none of us are broken on her award-winning site, The Redhead Bedhead. Joellen is the author of The Monster Under the Bed, Sex, Depression, and the Conversations We Aren't Having, as well as the upcoming book, In It Together, Navigating Depression with Partners, Friends, and Family. This is going to be a great and very important conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. OhMyGodYes.com is a website with findings from the largest ever research study into women's pleasure. In partnership with Kinsey Institute researchers, tens of thousands of women were asked what made their pleasure better, both solo and with partners. And then they found the patterns in those discoveries and organized all of that wisdom on OMGS.com in the form of super honest videos, animations, and how-tos. It's a fantastic resource that can help you to find new things you didn't even know that you or your partner liked. Visit omgs.com Justin to learn more and enjoy 33% off. This is also an incredible tool for therapists and clinicians to advance your knowledge and provide evidence-based care for your clients. It provides data that normalizes diverse experiences, a guide to varied pleasure techniques, and a framework for couples to explore their preferences. Clinicians and therapists can get a free personal membership by visiting omgs.com doctors. That's omgs.com doctors. New year, new sex life. Give yourself a boost in the bedroom this year with Beducated. Their online courses can help you to increase your sexual knowledge and skills. They can also help you to cultivate more satisfying relationships. They have courses for everything, including how to enhance intimacy, awaken pleasure, explore new sexual horizons, and connect on a new level. The content is amazing, and there's a lot to learn from these courses. Try them all today for free, and if you like what you see, you can get 40% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Miller, as the coupon code. Check the show notes for the link or visit beducated.com and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. Enjoy. Become a certified sex educator, counselor, or therapist with the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes. MSTI offers 20 certification options in areas including medical sexology, kink, neurodiversity, and LGBTQIA affirmative therapy. They also offer a PhD program in clinical sexology that can be completed in two years and meets all ASEC certification requirements. All programs can be completed 100% online and are flexible and customizable to fit your schedule. 
You can take live courses the third weekend of each month and choose from over 300 archive workshops taught by renowned experts in the field. For more information, visit ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. That's ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. In our previous conversation, we talked all about the link between sex and depression, but I think it's also really important to talk about depression in the context of our romantic lives, because mental health issues like this can have important implications for dating, maintaining healthy relationships, and dealing with breakups. So let's start with dating. Dating is hard for everyone, but it can be especially hard if you have depression or anxiety because we don't always get treated well by other people. And there's a lot of rejection that happens, especially in the world of online dating. And this leads some people to just retreat from dating entirely in order to avoid rejection. But the resulting lack of intimacy can be bad for their mental health. So can you share any tips or advice on navigating mental health and dating so that you can be taken care of and respecting yourself while also still feeling comfortable putting yourself out there? So I think there's a couple of things, right? The big question that always comes up when I'm like talking at events or whatever is when do you tell people that you've got this mental illness? And I think a place where people go wrong is in announcing that like right off the bat. Because that will change if people approach you, how people approach you. And arguably, those are not the people you want approaching you. But for your own safety, for your own mental health, whatever, I say take a little time, take a date or two to get to know if this is somebody you even want to spend your emotional energy on and then have the conversation with them about it. Remember, and this is for everybody, this is not just for depressed people. Remember when you're dating, it's not about getting other people to approve of you, right? You're not there auditioning for them. You're there to both figure out if you're into it. So think about it this way. It's not about throwing your mental illness out there and seeing you know, how they respond or if they still like you. It's about figuring out if this person is going to be healthy for you to be around as somebody who struggles with mental illness, because not everybody is, and it's important to acknowledge that. Yeah, I think that's so true. And you actually anticipated my next question, which was going to be about this topic of when do you disclose? Because this is something that a lot of people struggle with, not just with mental health stuff, but also with physical health conditions and disabilities and other things like that in terms of when do you communicate this to somebody who you might potentially be interested in dating. And there are some people who put this kind of stuff in their online dating profile. In part, it is an attempt to screen out those people that they don't want to interact with or people who wouldn't be a good fit or wouldn't be a supportive partner in the end. But sometimes that can lead to a lot of rejection and might make it even more difficult to find a date. And then there are some people who will disclose on the first date. And then there are some people who will just try and keep it secret forever, you know, some people who just never disclose it. So, you know, it is one of these things where different people are approaching it in different ways. But I think you're right in that a different way to approach this is to not necessarily put it out there at the very beginning, but to make sure that this is somebody that you feel safe and comfortable even disclosing this information to in the first place. I don't think it's the case that you necessarily owe somebody this on the first date or before you even go on a date, right? Yeah. And we tend to look at it as like this caveat, this like, you might like me, but oh, wait until you hear this. But I think really we should approach it like we would anything else about ourselves. Like if you couldn't eat peanuts, 
you'd be like, hey, if we're going to spend time together, you should know I shouldn't be around peanuts. And that wouldn't be like this embarrassing thing. So I think if we say to people, you know, if we're going to move forward with this, if we're going to be around each other, I have this history with depression or I'm experiencing depression right now. And, and these are a bunch of ways it can show up. And, and this is what you need to know about that. Yeah. So you've just mentioned how depression might show up in different ways, right? So within an individual, it might show up in different ways at different points in time. It might also be different across persons. And sometimes we don't always recognize when we're depressed. And, you know, this is also something that can pop up at any stage of life too, including when you're in the midst of an already established relationship. So let's talk about some of the ways that depression might impact a marriage or other long-term relationship when it does show up. So moving past dating, let's say you're in a long-term relationship and depression happens. What are some of the ways that that might impact the relationship? So depression tells us a lot of stuff. It tells us, you know, that we aren't nice to be around, or it can tell us that it's better to isolate, tells us nobody wants to hear the things we have to say. And so I think a big way that it can show up in relationships, a red flag to look out for, because depression, even if you've had it and it's come and gone for years and whatever, it can sneak up on you. If you start feeling like a wall between you and your partner, you don't want to tell them things, you want to hide away, you want to keep it to yourself. That's the time when you actually want to bring them into the loop so they can know what's going on while it's starting up. Yeah. So I think this also raises the question of how do you know when you're in a long-term relationship with someone, whether you're depressed or whether there's a problem with the relationship, right? So sometimes people who are depressed will unfairly blame their unhappiness on their partner and assume that that is the root cause of it. But sometimes that's not the issue. And when that happens, it can create a pretty unhealthy dynamic in the relationship. So do you have anything you can share with this in terms of, you know, how do you know whether you're depressed or whether this is actually a problem with the relationship itself? Oh, this is so important because I always say I accidentally got married because I didn't understand how depression worked. Like I thought that this relationship would move forward and, and I'd get better. I'd feel better. The depression would feel better. And then I'd be happy in the relationship. And I woke up one day, I had some effective treatment and I've looked around and I realized I wasn't happy in the relationship. It's kind of the opposite of what you described, right? I was blaming everything on the depression. So in order to kind of try and pull those things apart, first and foremost, and I feel like this is the cop-out thing that everybody says, but have a therapist. Have a place you can go and talk these things out and somebody that can help you kind of see what's going on because you can look at it and say, you know, is this about the way this person treats me or is this about the story my brain is telling me about what's going on in our relationship? And that will help you be able to identify like where those feelings are coming from, where that dissatisfaction is coming from. You also, and the it's a hard part when you have depression. You have to be willing to face the truth on those things because you might, like I did, find out that your relationship isn't so healthy. And that's hard at any point, but when depression's happening, it's even harder. So make sure you have a support system around you. Sometimes we really hunker down with our partners and they become our whole support system. And you want to have a bigger support system around you so you can turn to people and talk these things out and get the support you need while you figure out 
what is actually happening. I think that's such great advice and getting that second opinion, you know, having that ability to talk this through with somebody else, whether that's a therapist or with even a trusted friend or family member or something, that can help give you that additional insight so that you know whether this is a toxic, unhealthy relationship that you need to get out of or whether this is maybe a mental health issue that is in need of treatment. Now, when depression arises in a relationship and it goes untreated, it can have a lot of negative effects on the relationship. So we talked about one being how the partner might blame the other individual for their unhappiness, but sometimes it can also lead people to engage in infidelity. Uh, for example, they might just want to, to feel something or to feel alive, and so they might engage in this behavior that threatens their relationship or puts it at risk as a way of sort of trying to regulate their mood. And depression is also something that sometimes can lead to a sexless marriage, right? Because if depression causes a lack of interest in sex for one partner, sex might disappear from the relationship. And if they've never discussed or disclosed mental health issues with their partner, then their partner might not realize or recognize why the sex has disappeared. And then that becomes a whole other issue. So in the process of interviewing and talking to people about how depression impacts their sex lives and their relationships, can you share with us any other negative ways in which untreated depression can lead to issues or problems in long-term relationships? Okay. So I'm going to say something controversial. Okay. So you say depression and people say that's a relationship killer. And I got to tell you, I don't think depression in and of itself kills our relationships. I think the thing that kills them is resentment. And we get a lot of resentment built up because none of us know how to handle depression. And I know that's a little, I'm getting a little uh, semantics-y about it. And, but one of the big things you can do to keep your relationship healthy is try to avoid that resentment. Avoid those dynamics where um, you can't talk to your partner. Or um, a big one that comes up a lot is like, where you feel like there's something very wrong with you and your partner is, you're so lucky you have them. You're so lucky they would be with you because that's going to put you in a, in a bad dynamic too. It's hard because a lot of it just comes down to the communication piece. The thing you mentioned about like somebody engaging in infidelity. When you've reached that point, I feel like you've missed a couple of exit ramps along the way to end up there. So I always advise people as early as you can to try and get the cards on the table because the hiding the stuff, it just snowballs into more bad upon bad upon bad. And then you don't like each other anymore. And who wants to have sex with someone you don't like? I mean, sometimes that's fun, but most of the time, <laughs> not really. <laughs> Yes. And, you know, in my research on sexual fantasies, there are some people who fantasize about having sex with someone they hate, right? So, you know, that can be a whole other... <laughs> no judgment, kink. folks. <laughs> no judgment. That's a whole different conversation, though. But I appreciate your perspective there. The depression isn't the thing that kills relationships. The thing that kills relationships is mental illness stigma. You know, when a partner is not willing to be supportive or understanding or is just rejects the other individual because they have a mental health issue. So it can be mental health stigma. It can also be the secrecy around depression and mental health issues where they just never discuss or disclose this, or it can just be never seeking out any treatment or care for it. And so then, you know, there just isn't really a solution that arises in that case and it can get worse. So 
you know, I think the important thing to recognize is that you can be depressed, you can be with a depressed partner, and you can have a happy, healthy, functional relationship, but it requires a team effort. And so I'd like to talk about what is the responsibility and what are the roles of the partners involved. So if we start first with the depressed person, when this emerges in a relationship, what do you need to do here? Where do you even begin or start? A thing that I always make sure to tell people, because I feel like I spend a lot of time telling people how to support the person with depression. But if you are the person with depression, you need to be pursuing treatment. Because a lot of times we think, you know, I have my partner and I love them and that's the support I need. But your partner is not a therapist. And even if they are a therapist, they're not your therapist and they're not a doctor and they're not your doctor, right? That's too much to put on a partner. You know, I do believe we should be able to lean on each other and and whatever, but that's too much. So in addition to whatever you do between you and your relationship, you really do need to enlist some outside help to treat the depression. Because a lot of the issues that are going to come up, sex issues, resentment issues, whatever, these are issues that would be helped by treating the depression. Yeah, I think that's so important. And, you know, I think for some depressed people, who are single, they're often approaching dating with the idea that if they just have a relationship with this other person, that it's going to fix the depression. And in long-term relationships, people sometimes expect their partner to be there to meet any and all needs and to be that best friend and passionate lover and their therapist and all of these other things all at once. And you're right that it is just, it's too much in terms of the expectations to put on another person. So that's where having multiple sources of social support and engaging in treatment seeking, whether that's with a therapist or with your physician, is so, so important and crucial in all of this. So an interesting thing that came up in my research for my book is that the people who had most success in their relationships navigating depression were non-monogamous people. And to a degree, that was because it doesn't all land on one person, right? You can turn to different partners and the mental emotional load can be shared. And that's a great way to take some of the pressure off of the whole situation. That's so interesting. And it's not surprising to me in light of some of the previous episodes we've done on this show about consensually non-monogamous relationships and a lot of the research that we've read where when you have multiple partners, different partners can sort of take on different roles and you can also get support from a variety of sources. So when it comes to dealing with something like depression, it's easy to see how that could be adaptive for some individuals to have those additional sources of support. Now, we've talked a lot about what to do when you're the one experiencing mental health issues in a relationship, but what if it's your partner instead? So I saw you write somewhere that a lot of the literature out there on how to help a depressed partner kind of views the depressed individual as some threat to be managed. So what do you want people to know about being a supportive partner and what are the kinds of things you should and shouldn't do? Oh my goodness. I swear to God, my tombstone is going to say like, here lies Joella Nadi. She wants you to get on the same damn team. Because the piece of advice that I give over and over again is be a team with your partner. You are facing the depression together. And that means a lot of things. That means listening. That means believing them when they describe their symptoms. That means having a, a shared language. 
when I had a partner who didn't understand depression, I would send him, well, a video game called Depression Quest, which lets you role play as a depressed person and is weirdly effective. But I would also send him comic strips and, and things that kind of said, this is how I'm feeling right now without needing to explain the whole thing. And the one that's kind of controversial is talk about how you're going to handle socializing because this is a big red button issue that like blows up for people because a lot of times depressed people don't want to go out or, you know, and society tells us just drag them out. They'll be happy they went, but that's not true. So talk about doing things separately. You know, our world tells us that if couples aren't together all the time, you know, are they getting a divorce? It's like in tabloids and whatnot, but it's a way to give everybody a bit of what they need. So the partner who's not depressed doesn't end up feeling like they're stuck at home with the depression all the time. And the partner who is depressed can get that break and doesn't have to have those expectations piled on them. I think that's such great advice and important, not just in this context of, you know, dealing with one partner who's depressed and the other one who isn't, but just more broadly about managing and navigating romantic relationships because you're not always going to be feeling the same thing and wanting to do the same things. And when there's this insistence that you have to do everything together and go everywhere together at the same time, that can lead to a lot of conflict and strife in relationships. I mean, I know that for me, personally, like there are sometimes I really just don't want to go out or I just want to be by myself. The best thing I can do is just take a long bath by myself or just take a nap or something. And it's like, I don't want to be pressured to go out and to socialize because that feels really hard to me in that moment. And so, you know, it works in my relationship for my partner to go out early, you know, show up at the time that you want to. And then if I feel up to it later, I'll come out. And, you know, when you can have that sort of mutual understanding where everybody's getting their needs met, that is so helpful in terms of preventing conflict while also just, you know, creating a more harmonious relationship. So I really appreciate that advice. So I'm a raging introvert who likes to, you know, shut it down pretty early, but I have a weird tendency to date loud outgoing, like people who are like spinning fire and juggling and, and, and doing all the events and every party is 10 hours long. And so really to make that tenable, we had to figure out things like, you know, maybe I go in, in the beginning of the party and then I leave and you stay, or maybe you go and I stay in and watch some Netflix and understanding that that's not a bad thing in a relationship. It's actually quite healthy to be able to not end up at things where one person's hating it or not end up at home with the other person annoyed that they didn't get to go to the thing. Yeah, it all goes back to setting boundaries and, you know, having the right expectations in your relationship. It has me thinking about a previous time in my life where I dated somebody who was highly extroverted and wanted to go out all the time. And I have some extroverted tendencies, but, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. And, you know, it got to be exhausting <laughs> to date an extrovert because I wasn't getting any sleep and it just felt like <laughs> too much. So... <laughs> You know, it's one of those things where, yes, finding a way to manage those boundaries is really important. 
Now, not all relationships work out. Sometimes they come to an end, and that decision can be mutual or it can be one-sided. But any way you look at it, breakups can be really rough. And they can be especially rough if you're dealing with something like depression or anxiety to begin with. But there are healthy and unhealthy ways when it comes to handling a breakup. So can you share with us some tips on how to navigate breakup when you're dealing with mental health issues? Okay, so first and foremost... Everybody stops staying in relationships because one of you is depressed. I, I get so much, like so many questions from like, I want to break up with my boyfriend, but he has bad depression. Or I want to break up with my girlfriend, but I'm depressed and I don't know how I'm going to handle that, whatever. It's a bad idea on par with having a baby to save a relationship. Like just don't. Depression cannot be the glue that keeps a relationship together. That just doesn't work. The thing to remember for both of you, because also I know there can be a lot of guilt about ending a relationship when one person's struggling, or there can be a lot of like, I'm going to be on my own and scared for the person who is struggling. The thing is, staying in a relationship with somebody who's not 100% on board, that's going to be worse. That's going to make the depression worse. Everybody's going to be unhappier. So I know it's hard. I know it's scary. But when you realize that one of you wants out, even if it's not mutual, even if it's really sad for you, look to the ways that it's going to be so much healthier for this relationship, right? If you're the person with depression, you can pursue the things that will feel helpful to you, the relationships that feed you. You know, you can find the ways to get the support you need and not have to deal with being connected to somebody who doesn't want to give you that support. And if you're the person who wants to leave, my goodness, you staying while you're unhappy isn't going to help anything. Think about the opportunity it creates for both of you. And honestly, I know it's controversial, but it comes up in both my books. If you're in a relationship and somebody develops depression and you, the relationship was fine, but now they have depression and you don't think you can get on board with helping with that, break up because there's far more potential to be damaging to one or both of you if you stick around and you're not completely in it. It sounds like I want everybody to just blow up their relationships, but I really do think that, especially with depression as part of the equation, you're either in it together and 100% in it, or go your separate ways and everybody get what they need that way. Yeah, I think that's such important advice and information. Although I think for some people, it's going to be easier said than done because there are so many people. Yes. (laughs) So many people who feel like they're a failure if their relationship ends or going back to what you said, some people would feel really guilty. And, you know, I've seen this among some friends and people I know who are in these relationships. They're unhappy. They don't want to stay, but they feel bad about leaving the relationship because their partner would be in a really bad place. And so it is this very complicated thing. But I think you're right that sometimes breakup is the best answer. And, you know, that's something that I think also comes up in the course of sex and relationship therapy. You know, there are some therapists who kind of go in with this idea that you need to save the relationship at all costs, but some relationships can't really be saved. I've had some previous therapists on the show who have framed this in a somewhat different way where they don't look at it as their job is to save the relationship no matter what. It's to make sure that in this therapeutic process, they're meeting the needs of each of the individuals involved. And the best thing for both of themselves 
sometimes is not to be in a relationship together because not everyone is compatible. And in a case where there's this intersection with mental health, if they're not both team players, it's not going to work out. Yeah. And we, we get told that like love is enough, right? Love will find a way. And, and I'm here to tell you folks that sometimes your relationships can be super loving. And if the stars were aligning in the right way, this would be your person for life. But something has changed and it's healthier for you to split up, right? I needed to move across the country to be with my family and I left behind a partner who I love, but we now live 3000 miles apart. And it took us a little while to accept that, you know what, the nature of our relationship is different now because it's untenable this way. And that's not a failure. That's actually understanding when to walk away is to me, a healthier navigating of relationships than just, you know, staying together and celebrating longevity. Yeah, totally agree. And that goes back to this question of what is the best measure of relationship success, whatever success means when it comes to a relationship. You know, in graduate school, when I was studying the science of relationships, there were lots of articles, lots of researchers who we're defining relationship quality simply based on the length of the relationship. And there was this assumption that a long-lasting relationship was the sign of a, a good relationship and that that's what we should all be striving for. And, you know, there's a difference between relationship quantity and relationship quality. And, you know, just because you've spent a lot of time together doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be happy. And so, you know, just sort of striving for a long-term relationship in and of itself isn't necessarily the best or healthiest approach. You need to have a healthy relationship dynamic, first and foremost. Now, I know we're running short on time, but I have one more question for you. So mental health struggles can sometimes make love and relationships feel hopeless, that you're never going to find what you want, that the relationship is never going to last, that you're not worthy of love, or that you're inevitably going to get hurt. So what do you want people with mental health issues to know and why they shouldn't just give up? Oh, folks, I know it's so hard because I do this too, right? And the biggest lesson I had to learn was to not believe everything my brain tells me. So a lot of what happens with people in general in the state of the world right now, but specifically when something like depression is on board, is you start walking around in your head and saying, well, I don't have anybody right now and I would want somebody to be like this and I'm not going to find that and they're not going to want me anyway. And you just spiral and spiral and spiral. And again, I'm saying a thing that I know is a tall order. But if you learn to kind of pull yourself out for a minute and be like, okay, is any of this based on anything that's happening? Or is this just something my brain has made up? A shocking amount of times, it's a story your brain has run off with that has nothing to do with what's going on. And so you can take stock of what's actually going on and say, okay, so I'm single right now. But you know, I know what I want in a partner and that puts me ahead of where I was a couple months ago. Like you can find the actual truth of what's going on as opposed to the monologue of awfulness your brain likes to throw at you. Yeah. So it's avoiding the catastrophizing where you're always going to that worst possible place every time. And so I think it is important to recognize that you can have depression, you can have other mental health issues, but you can have happy, healthy, functional relationships. You are worthy of love. You deserve it. And it is possible to find it. But 
I think we need to talk more about mental health and its intersection with relationships because most of us just aren't equipped with the resources to kind of figure out how to navigate that. And so that's where I think your books, your writings, all of your other work is so important for opening up conversations around this taboo topic that so many people want to talk about and want to find helpful ways to deal with in their own lives. So we really appreciate the work that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Joellen. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of your books? Absolutely. You can find me online at redheadbedhead.com and all my information about my books and all that stuff is there. I am on um, several social media places, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for the time being as just my whole name, Joellen Naughty. Those are the places you can find me. Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. And thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.